what we do with teaching writing instruction style is we choose source texts that are at or below the reading level and we pace the difficulty slow enough so that each child, wherever they're at, can be successful. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal here is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So today, Andrew, we are starting a series on special needs children and how to teach special needs children. And I know we get a lot of questions with families or teachers who are working with special needs children. They might say that they have dyslexia, dysgraphia, ADHD. So we're going to spend several weeks discussing these special needs, and we're going to take them one by one, if that's okay. Starting with? Dyslexia. Which would probably be the most common. Right. I did read a statistic that 70 to 80% of people with poor reading skills are likely dyslexic. And that one in five students, or 15 to 20% of the population, has a language-based learning disability, probably something like dyslexia. Here's another thing I found interesting in my research, in that the percentage of females and males that have dyslexia are equal. So it's not one that's necessarily more prevalent in, say, girls than boys, or vice versa. So we get this question a lot, how do I help my child who is dyslexic learn to read, learn to write. And I know that you've had a lot of experiences with that personally. And you've talked about it, you've written about it. So we're just going to talk today about dyslexia, what it is, some of the ways that children who have this uh, have some special challenges, and how perhaps IEW can help these parents. So why don't we start with just what is it? Well, Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines dyslexia as any of various reading disorders associated with impairment of the ability to interpret spatial relationships or to integrate auditory and visual information. Right. So it's pretty broad. Mm -hmm. And I think there are many causes of what we might call or someone might call dyslexia. And a lot of parents will ask the question, should we get him evaluated? Should we take her in and find out well, yeah, you could, but chances are if you're asking the question, you already know the answer. Mm-hmm. One of the common things of all kids that get this label dyslexia is that they are easily overwhelmed with text, with print. It, it's visually overwhelming to them. Some will say the letters are moving around. Sometimes they'll flip back and forth. Uh, sometimes they just don't recognize letters. In my little article, Thoughts on Dyslexia, I point out that there are different causes of an inability to read. In some cases, it's simply a lack of phonics information. And that means that this problem can be solved pretty easily by intensive phonics drill. 
Susan Barton and the Barton Reading System, Lindenwood Bell and an intensive phonics approach will do this. Well, they'll give intensive phonics and teach the fundamentals of what are the letters and the sounds and the combinations of letters and the tool sounds. And so that's a pretty easy fix. On the opposite extreme, you have kids like my son who had years of intensive phonics mm-hmm. and still couldn't read simple sentences. Mm-hmm. He is what I would call kind of a, a true dyslexic in that he would pick things up, kind of pick things up in his mind and turn them around and look at them and, and then put them back down. And I can't personally imagine doing that. When I look at a chair, I just see what I see. I don't imagine the other side of it. These kind of true dyslexics, if you will, often become brilliant engineers and inventors and designers because they actually do see the world differently than we do. Probably one of the harder issues is when you have a an auditory processing issue that is combined with a visual issue. So hearing and remembering and storing the sounds of the letters and the letter combinations and the words the kind of what you might call a normal or average amount of repetition just doesn't seem to work. And so you need huge, huge amount of repetition, which then becomes tedious and frustrating for everybody involved. So it's dangerous, I think, to generalize about dyslexia and say, here is the solution. Here maybe is a possible solution, but we need to work around and and kind of determine more fully what is the challenge, what is the issue to assist. However, that being said, whether it's purely a lack of phonics or whether it's purely a different way of seeing the world or whether it's compounded by auditory processing issues, the information is the same, right? It's how to get it into the brain with the frequency with the intensity, and to do that over an extended period of time in a way that that isn't too painful. So how do we work with that? Well, we obviously understand, because of our, our heritage that we get from Mrs. Ingham and the blended soundsight method, we understand the importance of multisensory teaching. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to show something, also say it, sing it, If you're going to say something, also show it. Anytime you can get a kinesthetic or manipulative activity involved with that, so much the better. So our primary arts of language program, which is primarily designed to teach non-reading children how to read and non-writing children how to make letters and write and spell basic words and build the language database for grades K-1-2 is also appropriate for older children who are at that same level of beginning to read or or frustrated with reading. One thing that we, we kind of jokingly say, and I don't know who said it first, but insanity is doing the same thing but expecting different results. Right. I think that's attributed to Einstein, but he may not have said it first. Who, who knows? But it, it is a, a point where if you just keep doing the same thing and you're not seeing any good progress or result from that, why keep doing the same thing? Hmm. You, you need to look 
at a different way of doing something. Well, and let me just ask you, because you just mentioned frequency, intensity, duration, there is value in continuing to do the same thing, even though you're not seeing results. Well, yes, but generally, if it's working, you'll get clues along the way. Mm -hmm. And if it's not working, you won't get clues that it's working. So I do agree with you that repetition is critical, but if you're not seeing any progress from the repetition, then maybe you need to shift over and Mm -hmm. look at a a different approach. A a classic example of that would be a spelling program Mm -hmm. that is kind of a on-paper, fill-in-the-blank, play-the-word-game, do this, try Mm -hmm. and learn to spell by looking at words primarily. And you can do that for two or three years and still find children who haven't really learned to spell much at all. And so that that's frustrating. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you get off the paper and into the ear, mm-hmm. you go through a different sensory pathway, very often that will show better, more evident progress faster. Right. And of course, that alludes to our phonetic zoo program. That's our spelling program which we'll have to do a whole podcast on that. I think that would be fascinating to some of our listeners of how that product came about. But we digress. So people say, what do, in fact, Michael, our brilliant technical wizard here, said someone asked him last night, so what do you have Mm -hmm. for dyslexic people or Mm -hmm. special needs people? The fact is, what we do works for everyone. Mm -hmm. We don't need to have different things for different people. But what we focus on is educating the teachers and parents so that they understand the system and then can apply that in different ways for different students, different ages and aptitudes. Exactly. So that's the core of what we do is we try to teach a system of English composition and peripherally a system of teaching reading, a system of teaching spelling that would be applicable to all different children. But if the teacher understands it, then whatever materials they buy will make sense and they'll be able to adjust. Right. Okay. So what would you recommend for the teachers who are working with dyslexic children? Well, the core of what we do is our flagship product, teaching, writing, structure, and style. And this is not just for special needs teachers? No, not at all. It's funny because... Dr. Webster used to say one of the things about his writing program is if you teach it to special needs teachers and they use it and it works, then people will pigeonhole it and say, well, that's just for special needs. Right. And if you teach it to children of teachers of gifted children, then people pigeonhole it and say, well, it's just for gifted children. And if you teach it in the homeschool, people say, well, it works in the homeschool, but nowhere else. Mm -hmm. Or if you teach it in schools, people say, well, that's a school program. It's not a homeschool curriculum. And so, you know, he just laughed and said, well, when you have something that works, it will work in all circumstances. And I think that's what we've got. So I can have a room full of teachers and parents, and at the first break we'll have an advanced English teacher come up and say, this is exactly what I want to be able to do more effectively with my AP English class. Exactly. And on the other side of the room, you'll have an elementary special needs teacher who will come up and say, this is going to be so helpful for my little guys that struggle. And you've got a, a mom with children from three years old to 30 years old 
who's going to say, well, I can see how I will be able to apply this in all these different situations. So that's really the almost the superpower of what we do. We don't create all sorts of things for people to buy and throw at kids. Mm-hmm. We teach the teachers and parents the system of structure and style. Then they can teach it to children of all different ages and aptitudes. And what varies is the reading level of the source text, the sophistication of the content or the ideas, and the speed of introducing the new ideas, the structure and style ideas. So I always say I teach the same thing to everyone, whether they're in second grade or graduate school, whether they're advanced, talented, or special needs. What differs is the speed and the material. And and because I know the system, I can control that and teach it appropriately. And that's what we do is we help other parents and teachers learn the system. So that's the thing. If you open our catalog, hopefully on page one, that's what you're directed toward or <laughs> page three or whatever. But <laughs> hopefully that's what people look at first and say, this is what I need to do. Right. And I think it's important to mention that even if your children are not reading, this is a great place to start because it's going to equip you to apply any of our curricular materials, whether it be our writing program, whether it be our PAL, our Learn to Read and Write program, whether it be our poetry memorization program. It's, I won't say it's all in there, but the concepts, the foundation of everything we do is found in that teaching, writing, structure, and style writing course. Absolutely. And what comes with that, with the premium subscription, and of course we've talked about this in other podcast episodes, is so much great content that we provide as a part of the subscription. So let's say that I'm a classroom teacher and I've got a few kids in my classroom who are struggling with reading. They cannot read. I Maybe I teach kindergarten, first grade. Are there any materials that you would recommend for non-readers who are dyslexic? Well, we've had parents and teachers say that the PAL program, the Primary Arts of Language Reading, with the letter cards and the letter stories and the very basic phonics presentation is appropriate for older children who are not yet reading. Right. So while it's attractive to younger children, it's not so cutesy that a, a 10 or even a 12-year-old wouldn't, you know, would, would be allergic or afraid of it. I think we've tried to do that in everything, is mm-hmm. make it attractive, but not all the cute little frogs <laughs> on the wall kind <laughs> right. of environment, you know, which I'm particularly allergic to <laughs> myself. So certainly a classroom teacher who has kids that are not reading is hopefully getting some help mm-hmm. from the school because you can't run around and help everybody at the same time. You're forced in a classroom to kind of do a lot of things together as a group. That's the dynamic. But parents can be encouraged, certainly, to supplement whatever the school is doing with some good, solid, phonics-based reading instruction right. material. And I think our PAL would be perfect for that. Great. Yep. And what I love also about PAL, as you move through the program, you start getting to copy work. And that doesn't necessarily require that you know how to read to do copy work. Well, my son could copy before he could read. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that the two feed each other very well. I think next episode we're going to talk about dysgraphia, which is more about the writing problem. But they often go hand in hand. You know, the dyslexic child is also going to have a hard time writing, oftentimes because of overwhelm. Now, I have been at this 20-some years, and I will tell you that I have had countless exchanges with teachers and parents who said, this is the best approach I have ever had to teach my dyslexic child how to write. Mm -hmm. Why? Why is that? Well, one of the problems that all children have, but particularly the dyslexic or visually challenged, is that they get overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about the process of writing something, First of all, you have to have an idea. It's got to come from somewhere, either external to you or internal to you, but there has to be some idea. That idea then has to go into words and and into a sentence that makes sense. Then you have to hear that sentence in your mind. You, You essentially talk to yourself, right? When you're writing, you're telling yourself what to write down. So then you have to hear what you say to yourself. Then you have to remember what you said to yourself. Then you have to go and access a different part of your brain where you have information stored, which would be what are letters look like and what combinations of letters give you what words. And so you've got to remember the idea in the language part of your brain where you go around and search in the spelling and letter part of your brain and you try to pull the information there without forgetting what you were trying to write, and then you try to write it, and then you look at what you wrote to see if it matches what you heard yourself, and the complexity can just be overwhelming. It's a wonder that any of us can write, it is. It is a miracle. It is. <laughs> when you think about the human function of writing, it's at the top of the developmental profile, and it is, it is almost magical. Mm. It is truly a gift from the Creator. Right. And... Sometimes we take these things for granted. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we take walking for granted until we have a bum knee and we think, <laughs> mm-hmm. this is hard, you know. Mm-hmm. Thank heavens I don't always have a bum knee. Right. But getting back to the idea of addressing the overwhelm, mm-hmm. what our system does in particular is break things into the smallest possible parts. So we begin with, Here's an idea. You don't have to imagine it or remember it or think it up. It pre-exists. So here's an idea. Now, choose the key words to transfer the idea from here on the page into an outline. Okay, it's a simple task. You choose a keyword and you copy it, right? And then you end up with your keyword outline. Then you verbally reconstruct those ideas so that you're rehearsing in your mind, mm-hmm. right? So, okay, I see the key words. Why mm-hmm. did I write those? Okay, I say that. I hear myself say it. Maybe you do that a few times. So now you're reinforcing that in the memory. Okay, now you have to go find some of the words that are missing because you've only got the keywords. Right. But you don't have to find all of them. You've got the keywords. And if you're a sharp kid, you probably copied the hardest to spell ones Mm -hmm. into the keyword outline, so you don't have to figure out how to spell those. So, okay, now we're going to go add in all of the words that will reconstruct those keywords into a complete idea. And so this is so much easier for the child that gets overwhelmed 
by that very complex process as I described it, and they can have immediate success. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of parents have said to us, and you've been around when people have walked up and said it to you, this is the first thing I found that has worked. Right. Why is that? Well, primarily I think because of the separation of complexity. Mm-hmm. Now, I would like to mention, while we have just a few minutes left, another aspect of reading difficulty. Okay. It wouldn't necessarily qualify as dyslexia in the sense of, you know, flipping letters or moving letters or seeing and spelling and, and those problems that those children have, but comprehension, mm. reading comprehension. Mm-hmm. You're probably aware years ago, before you came on with us, so we know this is ancient times, mm-hmm. I was part of a team in Alaska. I was called personally by the superintendent of public instruction for the state of Alaska to join a team of reading specialists. Reading specialists. Reading specialists and create and join this team. And the goal was to create a program called Reading Alaska or mm-hmm. read, read Alaska. And the problem, of course, in Alaska and other states have this too, but particularly evident in Alaska is a lot of people who kind of go into school and they go through the grades because they keep getting older, but they're not necessarily acquiring the basic skills. Mm. And so they kind of get passed on, passed on, passed on. And so then the literacy rate is actually fairly low in some communities. Mm -hmm. And one of the goals of this program was to say, okay, we're going to create a teacher training course that will teach every teacher in Alaska, you know, whether you're teaching grade two or grade seven science or grade 11 math, every teacher in Alaska, teach them how to teach children to read. Mm. So that everyone, rather than everyone just passing the kids on saying, that isn't my job, I don't teach that, that all the teachers would say, the buck stops here. Right. We're going to focus on the basic skill of reading, which, Mm -hmm. you know, was a great idea. Not everybody was in favor of Mm -hmm. this particular idea, but it was interesting for me because we met in Phoenix. I guess all the (laughs) the Alaskans wanted to get out, I don't know. (laughs) But uh, we met in Phoenix, and I was in a room with five people who were so beyond my pay scale. I mean, mm. these were people with double PhDs. I think one of them was the ex-president of the International Reading Association. Mm. They used, in the first half hour, 10 words I had never heard before, and I just felt completely out of my league. And so I said uh, at the first break, I said, Roger, I don't think I belong here. I'm. I. This is not my world. I don't... <laughs> think I'm the right person. And he said, no, you have the missing key Mm. to comprehension. Mm -hmm. Because you can learn to decode and you can decode and you can watch words go by. But to understand is a it's it's an added level of active engagement with the text. And a lot of kids miss on that. Right. And so I'm sure when you were younger and your kids were young you know, I had this experience. Did you read it? Yeah. What did it say? I don't know. Well, did you actually read it? Yeah. Well, what did it say? I don't know. Well, now, come on. Did you read it? Yes, I did. I mean, you can go on like that forever. Right. And so we we can do this. In fact, as adults, you know, especially getting older or getting tired, 
I think we've all had that experience. We just watch the words go by, turn the page, and think, what did I just read? What did I read? Yeah. Why? Because we're not engaging. So this is something that we have to acknowledge as a critical element in reading. And this is why Roger brought me onto this team. Mm-hmm. Because what the teachers that we had worked with in Alaska found was that when you read a sentence and you stop and you choose three key words from that sentence and you put them in a keyword outline, you essentially have to stop and ask yourself a question about what you read. Right. What are the key words? It's an easy question, Mm -hmm. but you have to do it. Mm -hmm. You can't just watch the words go by and go to the next sentence and read the whole paragraph and not know what you read. Now, what you're describing, of course, is what we teach in Unit 1 and 2, and we might do that for a couple weeks. Does that mean that every time they read a book, they have to now pick out two or three keywords? No, 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 no. What we were finding was that when we teach teachers to Mm -hmm. teach students to do this activity, very simple activity, Unit 1, keyword outline, right, and then tell it back, right, that we're actually changing the way students would read. I see, yep. Because we're changing the habit. Instead of just reading and going on and being finished and thinking that you read it, you read a sentence, you stop, you ask the question, what are the keywords? You choose, you make a choice, you engage with the text. That's called thinking. (laughs) You're forming new habits as you're reading. You're forming thinking habits and a relationship with the text. So... You know, certainly not all dyslexic kids have that issue, Mm -hmm. but sometimes kids have reading challenges that aren't really dyslexia in that sense or dysgraphia or whatever. Mm -hmm. But that was a breakthrough, and and that's what I did. My contribution to that Read Alaska program was to teach on video this basic system of here's how you make a keyword outline, not for the purpose of writing per se, but for the purpose of comprehension. Unfortunately, like many great ideas put into it, I don't know how much it costs, a million dollars, whatever, and then it got buried and nobody uses it, even though, as far as I know, it's still free online and available to any teacher in Alaska. But I thought that was so fascinating Mm -hmm. because I've had many other people say, yes, this has kind of changed the way we read. So in conclusion, because I know we got to wrap it up, when you're working with dyslexia or reading problems... What we do with teaching writing structure and style is we choose source texts that are at or below the reading level, and we pace the difficulty slow enough so that each child, wherever they're at, can be successful. And you basically would teach a older student who had real struggles with reading the same way you would teach a younger student mm-hmm. who's just learning to read. Mm-hmm. You would The activity would be the same. The success would happen. We're breaking the complex thing of writing into smaller component parts, and so it's less overwhelming. And we're building a basic tool for improved comprehension. Right. So are there any other resources that we have or ideas that you could share with our listeners of what they could do? Well, I've talked many, many times for many, many hours Mm -hmm. in other podcasts and talks that are available on our website about the critical importance of building the language database. 
because ultimately kids are going to grow, they're going to exercise their willpower over their eyeballs and brain, and they're going to be able to read and write more easily than they can when they're younger. And so what's very important to do at that younger age is to build that database of vocabulary and inherent grammar, syntax, language patterns that are then going to be the reservoir, you know, the repertoire, the the database, the information that they will use when the reading and writing become easier down line. And how do parents do that? Well, number one, read out loud to kids in huge quantity all through their childhood. Don't mm-hmm. even stop when they become teenagers. Keep reading to children as much as you possibly can. That is the number one predictor of good writing skills in adults, mm-hmm. is having been read to a lot as a child. Supplement that with audiobooks. Mm-hmm. And you know, we've talked a lot around here about audiobooks. We're, we're all big fans mm-hmm. uh, because that's going to continue to build that language database. The advantage of reading to kids is you can stop and talk about things and explain them and build comprehension. The advantage of audiobooks is they don't get sleepy or tired. They right. keep going <laughs> and you can redeem you know, time. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the other prong of that two-prong powerful approach to building the language database is memorized language. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this quite extensively, the poetry memorization, the building of language patterns and vocabulary through memorization and recitation. But we don't have to go all into that because nope. the talk, uh, Nurturing Competent Communicators, is a free download on our website. Yep. And people can get all sorts of additional information, but it's always something to remember when you're dealing with kids who are struggling with reading and or writing, don't neglect to build the language database through the ear and the mouth. Right. And of course, what's our whole theme, our whole company tagline? Listen, speak, read, write, think. think. And so that listening and speaking is the foundation for everything. Right. And so to those of you that are listening, of course, we have our show notes on our website, iew.com slash podcast. And we will list several resources that we believe will be helpful to you as you continue your educational journey with us in listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at iew.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on this educational journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.